0: School of Hard Rocks and Puncture Weeds. Our school was named after Chief Petitneed, leader of a Native American tribe who roamed the valley before the white settlers crowded them out. The teachers didn't tell us much about the chief or how having his name on our old three-story red sandstone and yellow brick school would inspire our educational efforts. He made at least once one contribution. We learned to spell a very long word very early in our academic careers. It was like spelling Mississippi in which you just keep tossing in I-S, I-S, and SS's until it looks about right. With petite Neat, you just keep adding E's and an occasional T until it comes seems about long enough p-e-t-e-e-t-n-e-e-t that's how it goes one other thing about chief Petit neat i learned from my little sister genie after he was buried his ghost took up residence in the girls bathroom in the basement of the school genie knew that because the first time which was also the last time she ventured, ventured down there. As a kindergartner, Chief Petitneat was lurking around somewhere, banging on the steam pipes of the old radiators. People tried to trick Jeannie by telling her it was just a sound that steam radiators make when they get old. But children know some things intuitively such as where the ghosts of old chiefs like to hang out. So she never went back. Fortunately, we lived just down the hill and a half a block or so. And during her six and a half years in elementary school, Jeannie could sprint down and puff back up during recess and lunchtime. She got wonderful uh, aerobic workouts, but her uh, kidneys suffered some strain. Our school had some playground facilities you don't see anymore. One was the hill on which it stood. If you kicked the kickball too hard, that was it for recess. It rolled halfway to the city drugstore downtown, and by the time you fetched it, the designated bell carrier was ringing the bell. That was a great honor, incidentally, to be chosen to circle the school, ringing the large hand bell at the beginning of the day and the end of recess or lunch hour. You could be the scruffiest, nerdiest, littlest kid in the school, but for a moment, everybody paid attention attention to you, although they hated your message." Our playground was built of rocks and gravel and landscaped in puncture weeds. Balls and bike tires didn't survive on it, but we did somehow. We boys played a sort of football. We didn't know much about the game except it involved a ball and kicking, kicking things, including each other. Three more skills you needed were pushing, pushing, running and arguing we didn't have a referee to keep the rules that was all right we only had one rule whoever argued the loudest won unless you won too many arguments and then people got mad and left sometimes taking the ball with them this we would learn later was a pyrrhic victory for those of you taking notes in 279 BC, Pyrrhus, king of Epirus, defeated the Romans in a battle at Asculum. But he lost so many men, he declared, quote, One more such victory and I am lost. Unquote. In petit football parlance, that meant one argument, lost ball. The Petit Neat School Playground had many shortcomings, but it had one long going. It was right next door to the Cut. The Cut was a mini Grand Canyon sliced out of the hill with the Orem train line tracks at the bottom. They dug it out so the train could make it through the hill to Payson. It had a car bridge and a footbridge at the top and also a pipe to carry irrigation water across it. The pipe was big enough that the truly daring, bold, and expelled could crawl through it. Only a few tried, not because of the trip to the principal's office when some girl told on you. It was the spiders and snakes waiting inside the dark pipe <laughs> that kept us out. But the cat and the train tracks that was another matter. The forbidden fruit in the playground of Eden. Cowboy gunfights, great imaginary train robberies, putting a pebble or a penny on the track and then turning them into dust or paper-thin oblong copper souvenirs when the train ran by. These were worth chancing a trip to Mr. Olson's later Mr. Gardner's, the principal's office. There was a fence between the playground and the cut, of course, but it had holes big enough to shove a mastodon through. so we didn't worry about that. We had a live mascot, too. This was old Petitneed, the seagull. Seagulls are special in Utah. They ate the crickets and saved the pioneers from starvation. But old Petitneet was even more special. He only had one leg. The other one was bitten off, torn off, shot off. The stories varied, but he was a hero from the days of the earliest settlers in Payson. We never figured out that would make old Petitneet about 3,000 years old in bird years. We also never knew why he was a hero. Did he pluck some child off the tracks in the cut in front of a speeding train or just eat more than the average number of crickets? But we did know that if you went out at lunchtime and held up a piece of white Wonder Bread with tuna fish out of your lunch sack or one you borrowed from your friend because you only lived down the hill and half a block away and so your mother made you come home for lunch. If you offered that tidbit, the seagulls would swoop down and sometimes even snatch it out of your hand, but usually not. You'd have to throw it. If you did that enough days, one of you, usually Max Reese, who had a knack for being at the right place at the right time, would see the one-legged hero, seagull, old petite need. Then we would all run and tell anybody who would listen and believe us. Uh, This was not a large number of people. Once, Monty Montague, Max Reese, and I were at the forbidden train tracks. We put our ear to the tracks like we had seen Hoot Gibson do in the Saturday matinee cowboy movies. Train! We shouted. As usual, we didn't have a penny among us, but we lined the track with little rocks. We hid behind a nearby sagebrush. Uh, sagebrush was another part of the, of the landscaping at Petit Neith. And around the bend came not a train, but a little putt-putt cart with three track maintenance men aboard. They bumped over our pebbles, Screeched to a stop and began at the top of their lungs to describe what they considered to be canine elements in our maternal ancestry. They spotted us behind the sagebrush. Max took off running for home, part of his gift for being in the right place. Monty and I were frozen, waiting for Old Petitnee the seagull or Chief Petitnee or any available guardian angels to save us from the wrath of the trainmen. Nobody showed up. We cleaned off the tracks, endured a spirited lecture, and thanked our stars the train men didn't have any rope to tie us to the tracks with. We promised ourselves we would never do that again. Next time, somehow, we would come up with a penny. In addition to football, puncture weeds, and train wrecks at Petit Neat, we pursued the genteel subjects such as dancing, or as the refined people say, the Terpsichorean art. As you are aware, Terpsichore was one of the nine muses in Greek mythology. She was the goddess of the dance and chorus. Just to refresh your memory, she also lent her name to a British thirty-two gun frigate battleship commissioned in 1785. Also, a street in New Orleans historic district bears her name. She's also mentioned in a book of poems by T.S. Eliot titled Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats, published in 1939. Undoubtedly, Terpsichore's most famous moment in modern times was her contribution to Andrew Lloyd Webber's long-running Broadway musical, Cats. What is little known is that Terpsichore had siblings. Of course, being from a litter, they included Tripsichore, her clumsy, untalented twin, and her youngest brother, the Shame of the Litter, bum Sikuri, the heavy-footed Greek god of mashed toes in the dance. These last two of the Sikuri family are lesser known because they are products of my imagination, but my dancing skills descend directly from them.